great to see you here in the room, and many of you I know are joining us online. It's great to be together today. Well, here's how I want to start this morning. I want you to think, go in your mind's eye, back to a moment where you gave an amazing gift, the best gift you've ever given. It might have been a birthday, anniversary, Christmas, but you just did an incredible job as a giver. You knew what the person wanted. You knocked it out of the park. And think back in your mind's eye to that moment. And what's so awesome about that is that you were giving something, you weren't the receiver, and yet as we all think about that moment, there's a smile on our face. God has truly made us to give. Jesus Christ said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And even science has shown us that when we give, dopamine goes up, the pleasure hormone, and cortisol goes down, the stress hormone. God has designed us in this way. So we're in a series called Bless, and we know God has blessed us, but he's blessed us to be a blessing and calls us to give generously. But in that cycle of blessing in God's design, when we step forward and give, we're blessed again just in the act of doing that. It's generosity God's way. Now, I've been working and teaching and learning in the biblical generosity space for the last several years, but I've never heard anyone actually teach out of the passage we're going to look at today, even though it's about generosity. It's about generosity God's way. So we're going to close that gap together today. We're going to look at this text with one another out of Deuteronomy 26. But before we actually go and read that, we want to have some context. Because you can, you can get a lot from one verse of Scripture, one paragraph of Scripture, but you get even more if you know where you are and what the overall story is of what you're looking at. So first, let's ask, what is Deuteronomy? Now, when I was a kid, I actually thought Deuteronomy was dudes of astronomy. And so, like, you know, Copernicus or Galileo, something like that. And what's neat is that in the Bible, we actually do have some dudes of astronomy, but they don't show up until the book of Matthew. They see the star and they come and worship baby Jesus. So we're not there today. No dudes of astronomy. We're in Deuteronomy. And as we look at Deuteronomy, this is the fifth book of the Bible, and it's part of what's known as the Torah or the Pentateuch, the law of Moses. So you can, if you've been through Sunday school, you could recite these with me, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books were foundational for the people of Israel. They were incredibly important as they revealed the heart of God and the story of where, where did we come from as the people of faith, the people God has called. And they're still the first five books of our Christian Bible because we believe Jesus has fulfilled the purposes that God set forth in these first five books. Now, if we think about Deuteronomy specifically, it's the fifth, it's the last book in the Law of Moses. So Deuteronomy means second law. It's a re-giving of much of the law that Israel had heard before. It consists of three speeches from Moses. That's the main content of the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, you can sort of think of it as a farewell address for a nation. So I want to put something in our mind's eye on this. So if you've been to our nation's capital... You may have been on the National Mall there in Washington, D.C., and, and walked to the end where you've got the Lincoln Memorial. And it's beautiful. If you've been in there, you remember Abraham Lincoln, larger than life, sitting on his chair. And when I first visited, I saw something I didn't expect. Lincoln is there, but as you look to your right and your left, there are these giant words carved into the stone. And they're words from his Gettysburg Address and his second inaugural address. And they're famous words that inspired our nation as Lincoln 
worked to set slaves free in the legacy that he left us. I remember standing there and being moved to tears reading these famous words in the history of our nation. So as you think about generosity, excuse me, generosity, Deuteronomy, they sound almost the same. As you think about Deuteronomy, think about these words from Moses having that level of stature for the people of Israel, but even more than Lincoln and America, this is Moses and Israel. This is the unique call of God on a people that he set aside to bless the world through. As we look at chapter 26 of Deuteronomy, we're nearing the close of Moses' second speech out of the three that he gives. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. And if you would, would you stand for the reading of God's word? When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. And by the way, that's Jacob, the father of the people of Israel. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word that you've given to us. We thank you that you reveal yourself in it. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would teach us in our intellect and in our mind, but more than that, shape us in our hearts. Let me and my brothers and sisters come to reflect your word and reflect the character of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So if we look closely, this passage, it has a formula for giving God's way, for generosity God's way. And I want to call these the three R's of giving. You've heard of the three R's of learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And the irony of those is that only one of them starts with the letter R, so it doesn't make much sense. Uh, The three R's of giving, we're doing way better because they all actually start with R. So these three R's are to remember, to return, and to rejoice. And I know most of you will remember everything I say this morning for months and maybe years to come, but for others who might forget portions of this, I just want to clue you in. This is the thing to remember. Go home and remember this. And so to help with that, I'd like us to repeat it together. Even if you're online, would you repeat these after me? Remember, return, and rejoice. 
These are the call of God as we step into generosity. We remember what God has done for us. We return the first of our money or resources through giving, and we rejoice in God's holistic provision over our lives. So we're going to walk through these three steps. How do they play out in Deuteronomy for the people of Israel? And what do they mean to us? It's 2021, we're Christians, and how do we live these out in our lives today? So first up is to remember. How do we remember what God has done? Well, if we remind ourselves of three lines out of the passage from today, we heard the land that he swore to our ancestors, the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and we hear, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Moses was intent on reminding God's people, hey, your work in the land, many years have gone by, you have a harvest. It's not just your land and you worked hard and you got a reward. That's not the whole story. You got to remember and look back to what God has done. We heard from Pastor Rob last week, remember our own humble roots in each of our life stories and how God has brought us to where we are today with gratitude in our hearts. This was really big for Moses. Earlier in Deuteronomy 8, he says this, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember Northland and remember Israel, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Amen? And so this passage also talks about the signs and the wonders and the terrors that happened. And we're in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Law of Moses, and it's referring back to the second book, the book of Exodus, how God's people were set free. You may remember from Sunday school, from your own Bible study, there were 10 plagues, 10 signs that God brought against Pharaoh who would not set the people of God free. And the 10th sign was truly a terror. It was the loss of firstborn sons. This was commemorated every year at the festival of the Passover. And the story was that God's people were enslaved. This 10th sign was the wrath of God would come and the firstborn sons would all be killed unless a household of faith slaughtered a lamb and put the blood of that lamb over the doorposts. And then when the angel of death came and came to that house, they would do what? Pass over. Pass over that house and it would be a mercy against the wrath of God, the justified wrath of God to save the firstborn son in that house, in that home. And Moses is saying, you've got to remember how God has set us free. Now, one thing that Jesus Christ taught us as our Savior is he taught us that he fulfilled the law of Moses. He fulfilled the Old Testament, and in fact, all of it points forward to him. And so he teaches his church, go and read it, and read it with me in mind, because it's pointing to me. And so let's take a look at this. Powerful signs to be set free, a Passover lamb, freedom from slavery, and the new people of God. Well, if we think about the life of Jesus, were there powerful signs? Yes, there were. We have four eyewitness testimonies, the four gospels that tell us the signs and wonders performed by Jesus, so much so that the authorities came and said, by what authority are you doing this? In John's gospel, he gives us seven specific signs, very intentionally, from the water into wine at the wedding in Cana, a miracle. And then the seventh sign is Lazarus being raised from the dead, showing that Jesus has power even over life and death. He is God walking among us. And then the next sign, the next step is a Passover lamb in the people of Israel. And when Jesus gave up his life, he chose to do it during the Passover feast in Jerusalem. 
And so in Jerusalem, when thousands of lambs are being slaughtered in memory of how God had set his people free and how the wrath of God had been prevented, Jesus is saying, once and for all, I am the ultimate sacrifice. I'm fulfilling that, and no more will it be necessary. And if you and I are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God that you and I deserve will not come and take our life. We are protected by the blood of Jesus. He is our Passover lamb. Amen. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And what does that mean? We're free from slavery, not in Egypt, but our slavery to sin and death. We were trapped in sin and we were doomed for death spiritually and physically, and now God promises us resurrection and the power of his son. And like Israel, we're a new people of God. You and I are the church. We are the people of God that he is making new and calling to do the good work of his kingdom. So that's the gospel, right? But we're doing a sermon about generosity. So what does one have to do with the other? Well, this is the beauty of it. When we give, if you're writing a check, if you're typing in your credit card number, it doesn't start with that financial transaction. It is money or a basket of first fruits from the harvest, whatever it may be, but it's so much more than that. And our first step as givers is to remember what God has done. We remember our humble roots, and we remember the power of the gospel and how we've been set free in Jesus Christ. So that's step one, remember what God has done. Step two is to return. You know, I love the word return when it comes to generosity, because if I say I'm going to give something, That really implies that it's mine, and I'm going to give it away. But if I'm going to return something, I'm reminded that this came from an owner, and I'm simply giving back to the owner who gave it to me in the first place. It's also a first fruits offering. So if we look at our passage again, it says, take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest. And so this is a huge act of faith if you're a farmer. Remember, back in in these days, there's no Publix around the corner. There's no backup plan. What you grow is what you eat. And the harvest has come in another year. It looks like our family's going to be fed. And and God says, hold on a minute. The first fruits, I want you to bring it to me. And think of that step of faith. What if locusts come? What if somebody steals some of my harvest? What if it doesn't come in as well as I think it's going to? I'm taking a step of faith to honor God with the gift out of the first and best of what he's provided to me. And so for you and me, as we think about our giving, most of us don't have crops. We may have a farmer or two in the room, but most of us have paychecks, right? And so we get those and we manage our finances. And the question is, do we give out of our first and best to God on the first of the month at the beginning of the year? Or do we give out of what's last and what's left over, hoping that things work out on the 31st of the month? Our call from the Lord is to give our first and best and take that step of faith and trust that he will meet us in the midst of that. So, you know, the gift was given not just anywhere. The instructions from Moses are to bring it to the temple, and the temple structure was the church of that day. And so this offering funded the work of the kingdom, the work of the church that was taking place. And it's funny how God's timing works. I had studied this passage, and it had been stirring in my heart, and I'd really been learning some things from the Lord a couple years ago. And around this time, I had an opportunity to take a new role professionally, and it's at the McClellan Foundation, where I work now. I, I love what I do. I was so excited to get that transition. And out of the idea of remembering, 
my wife Megan and I discussed, okay, this passage talks about my father was a wandering Aramean, and, and here's what God did, and signs and wonders. And so what is our story that would look like that? And so we started writing things down, all the way back to our childhoods and the faith that our parents instilled in us, but then into our adulthood, and, and then this challenge happened, but we prayed, and God showed up here, and then we went there. And, and as we started connecting those dots, it was unbelievable the sense of gratitude and worship that we had to say, God, you have brought us to the place we are in life today. And out of that gratitude and remembering, we said, oh my goodness, we want to give out of our first and best to thank God for what he's done, for this new job, this new opportunity. And, and we couldn't quite figure out for a while how to do the first fruits thing until we decided we're going to take the first paycheck down to the dollars and cents exactly and give that to our church, Northland Church. And I'm telling you, that was the easiest and most joyful gift we've made because we had done it in the context of remembering and then doing it out of the first and best of God bringing provision into our lives. So there's one more piece I want to touch on when it comes to returning our best to God. And it actually has to do with estate planning. You know, we think of estate planning as 20th, 21st century kind of stuff, but if you look, some of the church fathers hundreds and hundreds of years ago talked about this very topic in some of their sermons. I was reading one of those sermons from St. Basil, and I'd love to share a quote with you out of that. He said, no one transacts business after the end of the festival, nor does anyone who comes after the war perform deeds of valor. Prepare yourself for your own burial. Works of piety are an excellent burial garment. He was saying, take that step of faith now while you can see it happen. Many of you will know the name Ron Blue. He's a well-known author and speaker and, and, and financial expert in our generation. And he said something similar, but in a little more memorable language. He says, do your giving while you're living, so you're knowing where it's going. And I love that. And so the encouragement here is, you know, many of us may have an estate plan, and, and it may name our children to make a godly investment in their future. It may name our church to invest in God's kingdom work. It may even name other ministries and nonprofits, and that's a beautiful thing. And giving in our estate is also a beautiful thing, but the encouragement from St. Basil, from Ron Blue, from the idea of first fruits in Scripture is would you consider accelerating some of that and say, I have it today, I've been entrusted today, and rather than it happening 5, 15, 25 years from now and I'm dead and gone, I can take a step of faith and accelerate the blessing into right now and see God's kingdom work go forward. All right, so we've remembered what God has done. We've returned first and best to him. The third step is to rejoice in what God has provided. So I was preparing for this message and thinking about this, and sometimes this idea of rejoicing when God provides for us, especially financially, we have a hard time with this. And in fact, sometimes we feel guilty, especially if we have a great year or our income is higher or if our business does well. There's this Christian guilt thing with God providing. And and I was wondering, where does that come from? And honestly, I think there's this prosperity gospel that's out there that says God just wants us all to be rich and do really well, and if we pray the right prayers, that's going to happen for us. And I think in the Bible-believing world, some of us have run so far from that heresy that we've gone to the other end of the spectrum, and we say, well, well I'm, I feel ashamed if I have money. I feel ashamed if God's provided. And in the beauty of God's balanced picture in Scripture, he says, when you've been blessed, rejoice in the blessing. 
But it doesn't even stop there. Rejoice and then start drawing your circle of rejoicing bigger as the blessing overflows from you outwards. In Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but it's not just for you. It's to overflow beyond yourself. So when God brings us money through our job or through an inheritance or Maybe you bought Bitcoin at 10000 I mean, however, God has brought you money in your life. Rejoice in his provision, but then start drawing your circle of rejoicing bigger. Let's look at the text, and it'll give us a picture of this, the last verse out of our scripture for today. It says, rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. So if we unpack this sentence, it's really meaningful. It starts with you. Yes, God has blessed you, and you should rejoice. You can rejoice in the good that God has given you. That's the center of the bullseye. It's very natural for us. We worked for or received financial blessing. But it doesn't stop there. It's you and your house. So the circle gets a little bit bigger. And a household, especially in the ancient world, this would be a multi-generational affair and and grandkids and parents and nieces. It would be a, a large household. And as someone works and God provides, it's a blessing for the family. We can imagine this in a modern sense. Imagine a single income family with one breadwinner and it's a good year at work and then a pretty good bonus comes in. And so the breadwinner, whoever's working, is really excited and swings through the grocery store, picks up some steak, has some filet mignon, grabs some rice and veggies and, and cooks it all up and invites the family to the dinner table and says, guys, it's been an amazing year. I got a big bonus. So I've got filet mignon and, and I made some rice for you guys. I hope you enjoy it. Let's sit down and eat. Well, you can imagine how well that would go over, right? That's not going to work. So we've got to draw. It's not just whoever got the paycheck. It's, it's the family is blessed when the breadwinner is blessed. This is very easy to understand because this is how we live. But what God tells us here in Deuteronomy 26 is, wait a minute, it doesn't stop there either. What comes next? You and the Levite. The Levites were those in an Old Testament context who did not receive an inheritance of land. They didn't have a source of income, but they were the spiritual leaders for God's people and their income was the generosity of the rest. Sounds familiar, right? It's, it's the church structure. And, and today we have churches and professional workers, pastors, leaders in the church whose livelihood comes from our generosity as God blesses us, our family is blessed, but our church is also blessed by the overflow that God provides. But it doesn't stop there. We also have the sojourner. So that's the, the poor, the outsider, the vulnerable in the community. So God's saying it's got to overflow when you receive money. You, your family, your church, and the poor the blessing goes in many directions. We see this in Proverbs 11, verse 10, where it says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And so the question is, Northland family, when you are blessed financially, does Northland church rejoice financially? Do the poor in central Florida have reason to rejoice? Which, by the way, happens through the ministries of Northland. It may happen directly in additional generosity that you yourself are able to give in the name of Jesus Christ. So, you know, there's a story that really illustrates this that impacted me deeply a few years ago. 
Uh, one of the great privileges of my life is I serve on uh, the board of directors for a life insurance company. And it's a publicly traded company, so we're on the stock market and all of that. And, and when I was asked to serve, I thought, you guys have got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm, I'm going to show up to the first meeting and they're going to say, we've got the wrong John Cortinas. Like, you know, sorry for the mistake, but get out of here. And I, I didn't feel qualified. And I showed up about three years ago at one of the first meetings, suits and ties, and we're all there. And, and I'm feeling like, well, I have enough value to add. Do, do I really belong in this setting? So that's how I'm feeling. We sit at the table and the chief financial officer starts sharing the numbers from the year. And it had been an amazing year for the company. We're talking tens of millions of dollars in surplus capital. Everything was the best it had ever been. Records are being set. Profitability is there. And right in the middle of, of as this is going on, the chairman of the board says, hey, can we stop? And it gets quiet and everybody's looking. The chairman has something to say. And he said, I think we need to pause and remember the source of these blessings. And he said, in fact, let's remember they come from God. Can we stop and pray? And I thought, wow, we're, we're going to pray in a board meeting at a company. That's amazing. And he said, actually, no, let's kneel. He said, if you don't mind joining me, can we kneel and thank God for what he's done? So suits and ties, chairs scoot back, and we all knelt down. And he prayed. He said, God, thank you for your blessing. Lord, would you allow us to continue to steward this company well? But God, don't let us for a moment think it's because we're so smart, God. This blessing is from you. And don't let us for a minute forget what this is for, God. It's not just for us. It's for the poor and it's for your gospel. So let us steward all of this for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And he said, okay, continue with the presentation. And so we stood up, got back in our chairs and continued. And I'm telling you, I'll never forget that moment because it modeled this so perfectly. We had remembered what God had done as the source of the blessings, returned the first and best to him. And this is a company that does that, gives so generously to advance the gospel and rejoiced in all that God had provided, not just for us, but for that expanding circle as the blessing goes outwards. So I want to pause here for, this, for a, a moment in the service that we refer to as blessed time today in this series that we call uh, Blessed. So if you are a giver to Northland, and so many of you here are, your blessings to the church flow outward to the community as a blessing and the kingdom goes forward. And you may have noticed something if you've been at Northland for a while. We don't pass an offering plate. And in fact, we very rarely talk about money or giving at all. And over the past couple of years, many of you have reached out to some of us on the elder board, some of our pastoral and staff leaders, and actually encouraged us, hey, can you do more of that? Can you actually tell us more about where our budget is? But even more importantly, can you tell us more about generosity and scripture and God's heart for giving? Because it's part of our faith journey, and it feels like that's lacking. And we started having those conversations, and, and what we uncovered is that Northland's history of not addressing this subject comes from a wonderful place, actually. It goes back to the 1990s in a season, in an era where there were financial scandals happening all throughout the church. There were preachers abusing the call to give generously. And as a place of integrity, Northland made a decision at that time, you know what, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to pass a plate because we want to stay so far away from, from this tarnishing that's happening in the body of Christ. And that was an admirable decision that was made in that time. But what we realized is, hey, that was 20, 30 years ago. We're in a different season, in a different place. And our congregation is desiring this. And we realize Genesis to Revelation, God is a generous God. And he calls us to give generously. So 
Our commitment in a new season is to do a better job talking about this topic as an important topic for our spiritual development and growth as the children of God. You heard from Pastor Rob crystal clear last week that this is not some fundraiser, and so we're not about to unveil a thermometer, and okay, if you get, we're locking the doors, and if you just give a little more, we're going to get it where we need it to go. We're not doing that. But it is a celebration of your generosity because you have been faithful to this church. You have been faithful to Jesus Christ. And that generosity has borne incredible fruit in our church community and for Central Florida and beyond. So in celebration of that blessing, let's take a quick look at a highlight from last weekend. Many of you know what's coming because you were probably here. Some of you maybe not. So just take a look and celebrate what God has done. preaching a message with what they're doing today without even using any words. What you guys are doing is showing the world that you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate all, look around, all these people are here today because they love you. Brothers and sisters in Christ supporting you. nothing quite like baptism, that picture of entering in to the new covenant that Jesus Christ has invited us into. I absolutely love that. And here's the cool thing in the context of this message on generosity and generosity God's way is that those of us who give here at Northland get to participate with God in the spiritual fruit that he brings and we rejoice in the good of that That's God's design. That's how he set up the world. He could have done it any way he wanted, but he did it in a way where he said, hey, would you play on my team with your life, with your time, with your thoughts, and with your money? And as we partner, I'm going to grow my kingdom. And praise God for that. So if you're not familiar with with how to give here at Northland, we're going to show those three options up on the screen. You can do this online. It's in your worship guide, very easy to find, or northlandchurch.net slash give. 
There's also a text to give option, and I'll be honest with you guys, I'm a millennial, but I don't really understand that. Um, but apparently it's a thing, you can text that number and you can let me know how it works, I'd be interested. Uh, or if you're old school like me, old soul, um, you can use cash or check in the offering boxes or those can be mailed in. In all of these ways, God's kingdom is funded. Now these are specific instructions. Our passage today had specific instructions. Take a basket of the first fruits, take it to the priest, say these words. So there's a practical element to this as we give and invest in God's kingdom. Now in just a couple of minutes, the band is gonna come back up and we're gonna move towards the close. But before we do that, I wanna share one story that illustrates this in a powerful way that impacted me over the last couple of months. I wanna introduce you to a neighborhood to give some context. This is on the other side of the world, and I think we have a picture of this, so we're gonna share. This is a place that is actually called the Garbage City. Uh, that's really its name, and it's part of Cairo in Egypt. We have one more picture. They had some serious flooding last year. Many people lost their lives, lost a lot of their possessions, and so it's a large slum area, and it's called the Garbage City in Cairo, a city of over 20 million people, giant metropolis, and this city, despite how big it is, never developed an organized garbage collection system. And these people, in order to survive, started collecting the garbage of the city in exchange for a small fee. And then in order to survive and create some income, they sort the garbage and look for anything recyclable, some plastic or, or some metal, whatever it might be. And this is how the people of the garbage city live and survive, literally off the trash of the city. And one of my colleagues at work knows the Christian community in the Garbage City fairly well, and they reached out to her and said, hey, would you come and, and partner with us and facilitate a journey of generosity retreat for us? We wanna learn more about biblical generosity and how we can become better givers. And she's so humbled to get this request, knowing how poor they are, uh, what is that gonna look like for them to step into generosity based on their circumstances, knowing, again, many have lost loved ones, many have, have died and lost possessions. The average income there is a dollar or two per day. It's an incredibly challenging situation. And so she gets there and they start the retreat and one of the ways they begin is, is to write down their goals for the experience on a piece of paper and what they hope God will speak to their hearts. And a couple of the people then said, well, excuse me, but we actually don't write, read or write. Uh, so, so what should we do? And, and again, just taking the humbling a step further, oh my goodness, wow. And of course, now they started doing it out loud. They said, let's talk about our goals for the retreat. When they were gonna read scripture, they had someone who could read, read it aloud and discussed it. And they walked through passages on generosity, stories of generosity and prayed before the Lord. And what was incredible is as they went through this, God met them in a powerful way. And one of the older women in the retreat said, I, I've gotta pray something in front of my friends. And she said, Lord, would you forgive me because I've been stealing from you? I haven't been giving you my all in generosity and I've been stealing from you, but I wanna become more generous like you, Lord. They continued the conversation and as they got near the end, they said, how can we be generous in our daily life? How can we invest in God's kingdom? And one of them had the idea, you know, we work in the garbage, so why don't we think about that? And every day as we're sorting, what if we took a handful of plastic and set it to the side? And if we all do that, we can bring this together and give it to our church, and then the church will have a stream of plastic to sell and monetize and generate increased income for our church so the kingdom of God can grow and go forward. 
They're effectively saying, look, we want to remember what God has done to bring us freedom in Christ. We want to return the first and best, even if it's working out of the trash, the first and best of the trash back to God. And we want to rejoice in how he's provided for us and our family. 2 Corinthians 8.2 says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And the point of sharing this story with you is it's not to produce some kind of guilt of look how poor they are, look how rich we are. No, it's actually to say we are all, as God's children, on the same playing field. And the truth of God, from Deuteronomy 26 and from cover to cover in his word, his call for us to live as generous givers, it's true for us in prosperous central Florida. It's true in the slums of Cairo. And it was true thousands of years ago for Israelites living in an agricultural society. The point is, it's the plan of God, and it's simply true. And so the call to us this morning, the call to you as you go forth from here, is will you remember what God has done, your humble roots and his redemption in your story? Will you return your first and best financially to the Lord? And will you rejoice in the good that he's done, not just for you, but your family and your church and the poor as the blessings overflow. Thank you, church. Let's worship God one more time.